Oh man, we are just a month away from the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame Festival live from Hamilton. I am so excited. My name's Chad Noonan, by the way. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for listening to the show. Two big interviews today. The great, the legend, Steve Smith, a.k.a. Red Green, is on the program. And the amazing comedian uh, from Washington, D.C. He's coming on tour through Canada. Ryan Connor is here. Big interviews, big show. Can't wait to get to it. But first, I want to talk about Festival Week. It is coming to the great city of Hamilton. Uh, It all kicks off Wednesday, February 21st with the opening night gala with headliner Ron James, hosted by Ashley Leggett and Sean Majunder. Do not miss that event so many great inductions will be happening including rosalette uh marie dressler uh, the happy gang will be inducted on that show it's going to be unbelievable there'll be music there'll be dancing there'll be a dinner great way to kick off canadian comedy hall of fame week and so many other events that i'm going to touch on throughout the show uh there'll be so many fun things happening including the uncle buck pancake breakfast uh, there'll be shows at Levity Comedy Club all week long that will feature headliners like Sean Majunder, Eric Johnson is going to be on the program. Elvira Kirk is going to be there. It's going to be amazing. Not to mention uh, the Indigenous comedy show Got Land will be in town. We have the Francophone show is going to be happening. And this podcast is going to go live on the road in front of a studio audience for the first time featuring Ron James, Sean Majunder, uh, so many great guests. Keisha Brownie is going to be on it also it's going to be awesome. I cannot wait for that week. And I cannot wait for you to hear this interview. Red Green, Steve Smith, had the opportunity to speak with him from his home in Florida. What an amazing, super nice man. Uh, if you don't know Red Green, you, like, who are you? Are you even Canadian? Are you even Canadian if you don't know him? He, of course, the Red Green Show ran for 15 years, 300 episodes uh, on, on Canadian television and on PBS in the States. Steve is... Uh, Steve toured the Red Green Show for years. He did 34 U.S. cities, 29 Canadian stops. Uh, And we talked a lot about touring. We talked about the start of the Red Green Show, his career, what he's doing in retirement, what an honor it is for him to be inducted in the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame. I hope you enjoy it. Here it is, Steve Smith on the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame podcast. First of all, congratulations on uh, on being uh, inducted in the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame, and uh, and and going in in, in Hamilton of uh, of all places is quite fitting. Well, that's the center of comedy, you know, usually the butt of the jokes. But uh, yeah, it's cool. I've I've lived in Hamilton now for almost fifty years, so. It, it, there's a lot of great comedy that's come out of Hamilton. You know, the hilarious House of Frankenstein, Eugene yeah, Levy. I think yeah. it's Marty Short. So Marty uh, Short, yeah. It's, it's a bit of a hotbed of Canadian comedy. It is. Yeah, it is. it's a hotbed of everything, really. A lot of musicians out of Hamilton as well. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, of course, you're known for the Red Green Show, a uh, show that has uh, kind of gone international. I, I reached out to a bunch of fan groups and stuff, and I and I said, hey, I have Steve coming on the show. Um, so they sent me some questions that they would like to ask you. So oh, yeah. I'll get to those in a bit. But first, I have I have a kind of my own list of questions. Um, obviously, duct tape played such a huge role on the show. Um, and what was the budget for duct tape? I, I understand that 3M ended up becoming a huge sponsor of the show. How did, how did that come about? Yeah, I think my brother was, he was a business manager at the time. He put that deal together. Uh, so we didn't pay for any duct tape ever. So, uh, <laughs> in fact, on one show, 
we had them supply us with a four foot wide roll of duct tape, which is how they make it. And they cut it into the two inch, you know, we're going to um, waterproof a boat just by taping the bottom of it with one big swath. And uh, what I didn't realize was when it's four feet wide, it's really hard to unroll it. That's like 12 of us to unroll the tape. So, yeah. But the duct tape connection wasn't a fluke. Um, I'm a big fan of branding. And uh, uh, one of the keys to branding is you want to attach yourself to something that the audience is already familiar with. So uh, I've consciously decided to connect red green with duct tape because red green is kind of the human form of duct tape. It seemed like a pretty good fit. Yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize it was that much of a conscious decision. I kind of, in my mind, you know, I thought it, it was more organic in the sense you started just using it in the show and it became part of it, but it, it seems like it was a real conscious decision. Yeah. It, it, it probably happened three or four seasons in. So it did start organically. And then it, as we, we're looking for something that would be the identity. Uh, there it was. I know you have a uh, background in engineering. That's what you went to school for. Um, no. How much? How much is your like? And and an engineering mind is so much different than a comedy creative mind. But how much yeah. did that come into play in in writing this show? Um, you know that engineering kind of uh, inkling or or uh, part of yourself that you had. Oh, a, a tremendous amount went into the show. And and when I was, uh, when I went to University of Waterloo and I was on a co-op program. So I would work for four months and go to school for four months. But I worked in the maintenance shop of a big factory in what was called and it's part of Cambridge now. But um, I did everything. I did welding and pipe fitting and uh, carpentry and electrical. So I had, I knew, uh, I knew how to do a bunch of stuff. I mean, I knew a little bit, enough to be dangerous. And uh, I really wanted that component in the show and uh, it really connected me with uh, the blue collar guys out there because they know that although I'm fooling around with it I do know what is how it works and how it's supposed to how it's supposed to go so that was a key component and it was really hard to find writers who have that ability they could be funny but if they don't have that mechanical sense then uh, you know I would end up having to write all those things myself. I was wondering that because I was, I mean, just watching episodes preparing for this and I had Rick Green actually on the show about a month sure. ago. So I, I, I've watched a lot, a lot rewatched a lot in the last month and just you like explaining uh, the parts of an exhaust of a car, for example, yeah. it seemed really genuine to me. And I was kind of like, I feel like Steve actually knows the parts of an exhaust where like, you know, either you're a heck of an actor, which you are, <laughs> you're an amazing actor, or you no. actually, you, you do have that mechanical inclinedness, I believe. Right. Yeah, I mean, up until last year, I had uh, four old cars. I mean, my oldest was 1929, and uh, I, I kept them all on the road. I did all the mechanical work myself. So I, I know it, and I enjoy it, and I, I, I mm -hmm. love solving problems. You know, there's a tremendous amount of satisfaction in being able to fix something yourself without having to phone somebody. It's kind of embarrassing for me to phone a repairman. You know, it's kind of like, <laughs> I don't want to admit he knows more than I do. He just has more experience. And once I've hurt myself a couple of times, I have the same experience. I'm good to go. This uh, repairman showing up to uh, Red Green's house must uh, must give you <laughs> some looks. What would, you categorize, what would you categorize the show as? I mean, it had a bunch of different elements. It had the stand-up element. You did like a, you know, kind of like a monologue type thing at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was very sketch in the sense, but sketch shows are usually not the same characters throughout the show. And it was sitcom as well. Is this, can this be categorized as anything or was Red Green its own unique thing? 
I think te technically it's called a themed sketch show. So it's, it okay. is sketches in terms of segments, but uh, everybody just portrays the same character every time they're on. So they look for a variety of things. Uh, I'm a, I'm like I, I was mentioning branding before, I'm a real, I'm a real believer in being unique. You know, if you're, if you're copying something that's already there, we don't, we don't need you. We don't need another tribute band. You know, we just want the real band. So I was very conscious of being different because to be honest, when you're doing Canadian TV, you can't afford to be the same because the, the guy you're trying to be the same as has 25 times your budget. He wins, you know? So yeah, there was, and I'm, I'm kind of an oddball person. I like odd things. So it just seemed like a pretty, pretty good fit. You talked about Canadian TV, but this this show really jumped the border and, and became huge in the States. Like I said, when I put it out there for questions from, from people, all the questions came in um, from from Americans. I asked them to tell me where they're from, and they were all they were from right across the States. When you were touring the show, and this is a question I ask a lot, um, what did you find the difference between an American audience doing it live and a Canadian audience? Uh, the only difference I would say is the... The American audience is more demonstrative, and I'm sure you hear that a lot. Uh, Canadians, um, I think, appreciate what you're doing, but it's, they don't think it's any of your business to know that. So they they tend to be a little more reticent. <laughs> Whereas America, both ways, Americans they don't like what you're doing. They're they're not shy about that, you know, either. But uh, yeah, I would I would say I when I did four tours. I did you know four in the U.S. and four in Canada, and um, the, the uh, ticket sales were the same, both sides of the border. So, so we did fine in that respect. But the audiences were definitely more rambunctious uh, south of the border. Although when we we shot all of our our specials out of those, we we did them all in Canada. So there you go. When you when you ended the show after three hundred episodes, were you planning on going on tour, or was that something that became kind of at a demand for for the character? None of those things. Uh, so <laughs> I, first of all, I decided to, to, to not do this, to, to end the show. Uh, right. And it, it was after the 13th season. Uh, and I was with Slocko Klimkue, which is, I always said he was conceived during a Scrabble game, but he was the programmer at the CBT. And I met with him as I did every year. And I said, this is what I'd like to do. I said, I'm not, I'm not telling you or asking you or demanding. I would like to do two more seasons. That would be 300 episodes, you know. He said, well, let's just write up the contract that way. He gave me a two-year contract, which is fantastic because I could, I could have the stories wind up. I could tell all the cast and crew where it's a two-year, this, this is going to be over. Okay, now we go forward. I was going to retire and, and not, not do anything anymore. And uh, I was playing golf with the uh, CEO of uh, Random House, a publishing company, you know. Mm -hmm. And he says to me, if you wanted to write a book in the red, green character, I, I, I'd publish anything you wanted to write. Oh, I thought, well, first of all, I'm flattered. Uh, the other thing I thought was if I say no, he's never going to ask me again. So I, I agreed to write a book. And I wrote a book called How to Do Everything. And then when you write a book, you have to do a book tour. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, my gosh. I got to go to Saskatoon to sell 10 books. I said, I'll buy 11, not to go. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what I did was, I thought, okay, I, I did the Canadian book tour. But then I went into the States and I thought, rather than just do a book tour, why don't I do a Tour. and uh, this was in 2010 I put together a one-man show and I gave all the money to PBS so I just went up they all I did is to cover my 
my travel expenses. And, and for some of them, it took me two years to get a $700 travel expense back that I raised thousands and thousands of dollars. Anyway, <laughs> then I got that first night. It was in Minneapolis. I went out on stage and I just thought, this is the greatest performing experience of my entire career. It beats the heck out of television and radio and, and writing books. It's just one-on-one. -on -one. There's the end user. I'm not trying to sell them a refrigerator. I'm just saying what I think is interesting or funny, and they seem to agree with me. So it was awesome. It's that instant, instant uh, reaction. It's uh, I'm a, I'm a stand up comedian, so I I get that I get that every night. It's that's a hard thing to walk away from when you finally yeah. decide to give up that that touring. Yeah, I when I did my last tour, I it was called This Could Be It. That was in 2019, and it, it was so it was so great. People come up and said the comments they made to me and the reception that I got. It was so great that I couldn't de demean that by not quitting. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I just, I just, okay, you know, it's a great memory. I'm not doing it again. We're done. Yeah. Go, go out on top. Um, I, like I said, I had Rick Green on the show and we talked a lot about uh, adventures with Bill, which was, and frankly, cause it's my favorite segment on the show. Yeah, yeah. I love that origin story. He said that there was no uh, color film. I guess the camera operator didn't bring it. So you're like, okay, we'll do it in black and white. No, 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 now, it's the, not quite, it's not quite right. I, oh, that's, I, what, that's what Rick told me. Okay. I go know. Ahead. He, he, he makes stuff up. I, uh, <laughs> I bought a 16 millimeter camera in an antique hairdressing salon in Burlington. Oh, this might Ontario. be a better story. Yeah. yeah. It was a Umig uh, 16 mil camera, you know, and you the kind you wind up and the, the reels were three minute reels that went in. So we would shoot something like uh, an adventure with Bill. We might need five reels of film. So we go, we shot. Now I take the five reels of film in to be developed. It turns out two of them were black and white. And the other three were in color. Well, what am I going to do? I'm not Ted Turner. I can't afford to colorize them. So I just made them all black, black and white by just turning a few knobs. You know, so. oh, and people funny. say, what? That was just genius. They say to me, well, for doing that segment in black and white. I said, oh, yeah, thanks. Yeah. I, cause my, my original thought is like, oh, this is a harken back to the three stooges or like one of those or Charlie Chaplin or one of those odd, but it was kind of, uh, it just worked out that way. And the voiceover though, for that, those segments, that was just you in a booth. Yeah. Any, no script, just, no. you're just literally saying what happened. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, the later years, once I got to CBC, I would do it right in front of the audience. Like they'd be watching the thing and I'd be talking along with it right there. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, where did the ori origin of the famous tagline, if women don't find you handsome, they should at least find you handy. Do you have any idea where that came from? It was either Rick or I, or both of us. Uh, you know, in the early days, we were the only writers and uh, we wanted to have a handyman segment. We we're really trying to expose all facets of the, the male ego. Uh, it, it may it may have been him. I'll give him the credit because it, it may have been him, but it was certainly... Uh, Right from the beginning, it was, and it, it just caught on to that phrase. We sell t-shirts mm -hmm. with that written on it. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a funny phrase. My, my other favorite part, and just because the writing in it is so good, I, I love just clever writing, is the word game oh, segment. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm always, I mean, I was watching it this morning even, and one with the great Graham Greene, and the word was passion, and you guys are going, I was like, how are they going to get to this word? Yeah, but you always yeah. find a way. It's so great. <laughs> Uh, any insights into that kind of segment or, or uh, the writing of that? 
you know, I really, really liked that. We kind of stumbled on that format in maybe the fourth or fifth season. And I really liked it because it is absolutely concentrated comedy. It's, you know, mm-hmm. it's just bang, 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 bang. I'm old school, you know, set up, knock them down, set up. I like that stuff. I don't find it jaded at all. So the, the word game was just the, the quickest way to get to a, to a punchline. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of great. And we did it again. When the live audience was there, you could feel the energy in the room. They just really enjoy the pace and the, the turns. My granddaughter says she, she watches word games back to back to back to back to back. And she says she totally knows the, that we're going to get there and that she knows the format. There's no surprises, but she just she loves it anyway, you know, even yeah, though she knows. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, you know you're going to get there. You always yeah. do. But in a way, you're like, is this the time they don't do it? You know? Yeah, I mean? yeah, 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 yeah. What was what just the, I, I didn't have this question, but I'm, I'm curious in, in how things are made. What was the filming like? Did you guys film multiple episodes in a day in front of the studio audience or? No, well, I mean, obviously, a lot of the show was on location. So, right. Um, we would we would have an idea unless they were doing this is episode you know, 28, we have an idea what's in episode 28. So we would compile all of those location scenes. We would play them back to the audience and they, and record their response. It, that, we had that component. And then we would, the things that happen in that show, supposedly uh, through in the studio, we chewed all those. So we, we do a, a show at seven o'clock on a Wednesday night and we do the same show at nine o'clock so we, we, with a different audience. So we'd meet okay. after the we'd meet after the first show, and I would express uh, changes I'd like to make, blah blah blah. And uh, of the, I mean, we were, we did that for ten years, probably maybe more, eleven years, maybe. Um, I don't think I ever used the seven o'clock show. I don't think I oh, ever uh. used, yeah, because it, it wasn't just that that people were you know performed better. It was they knew where the laughs were from the first show and it just really informed their, we knew where to open it up, let it, just let it ride and where to move on, you know? So it was very helpful. Um, I, I, like I said, I do have some um, listener questions that, that people send me and I, I thought some of them were great and interesting. So uh, Nick from Wisconsin, he wants to know that while remaining clean and wholesome, can you talk about the decision not to go blue at all in the stories uh, and to remain wholesome throughout the whole series? Well, uh, <clears throat> we're going to go back to, I'm going to say 1975. My wife and I were performing in Vancouver and we were at a club and, uh, you know, we were kind of like the Canadian Sonny and Cher at the time and had this nice clean little husband and wife act. And there was an, another pair on the, on the roster and they were comedians and they were pretty blue and the audience was loving them and not loving us. And uh, so one night while we were performing, I I went outside of my zone and did a joke that was, you know, one of those. And the the, the funny guy from the duo, when I come on stage, he came over to me and he said, don't do that. Don't go down that road. You can never come back. Uh And it was just like, oh, and that was the end of that was the end of me going over that line. And uh the comment I get most from people when I perform and they come to talk to me afterwards is this was the one show they would watch with their dad or their mom. Mm -hmm. You know I mean? The whole family, everybody's comfortable. I'm not going to say or do something. They're going to go, Oh my God, I didn't want you to see that. Yeah. I'm proud of that. 
Yeah, you can definitely, it's definitely a show that transcends generations. I had it on when my daughter, who's eight now, was watching it with me. So that yeah. was, that was pretty yeah. great because I remember yeah. it as when I was a kid. Um, Dave from Pennsylvania wants to know how many K cars did you modify during, during the, uh, <laughs> the show on Handyman Corner? Oh, man. Tons and tons and tons. We had a, the, the guy that worked on the show, his name was Chris Campagnola, and he had a, like a mechanics, you know, business, but he had a contract, uh, with the police that whenever there was an accident, they would tow the vehicles to his yard. He had a big, big place out of the country. And then they would sit there until the insurance adjuster came around. And the, if, the, if the car had more damage than what it was worth, it was a write-off, right? Well, with mm-hmm. a K car, if it has $50 damage, that's more than the, that's more than the car's <laughs> worth. <laughs> we we yeah. would just get this deluge of K cars. And most of them, you know, I had to actually drive them in, in the scene uh, and, and most of the, their biggest issue was they had no gas tank or was rusted out and holes in it or whatever. So I'd say 90% of the time there was a like a three-quart jug of gasoline in the trunk with a plastic hose in it. And that's what was running the engine. I mean, it was like driving a bomb. If it hit a bump, fell over, the whole thing go up in flames, but it didn't. Taking your life in your hands. Yeah, um, yeah. Katie, and, and this might be a bigger question. Katie from Los Angeles wants to know, um, how did you come up with the character Ranger Gord? And maybe on like a bigger level, where did the characters come from? Were they like real people that you, I, I know obviously where Red Green came from, from the Red yeah. Fisher show and, and right. that idea. Yeah. Um, but where did the other characters spawn from? Well, uh, it's funny. Um, Ranger Gord is a perfect example of this, but in Canada at that time, there weren't a lot of really good comedy actors. So rather than create characters and then try to find somebody to play it, we would, Rick and I would decide, okay, Peter Callahan, he's good. He's got good comic timing and I'd worked with him before. So we brought him in and we just talked to him. So uh, Peter, like, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Or what, what, do we, what do you do? What, what hobbies do you have? And so on, so on, so on. And uh, then at the end of it, we said, okay, great. He says, well, like, what about the audition? You want me to do a script or anything? We said, no, 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 you got the job. We just want to figure out what the character should be. So what we decided with Peter was he's a really he's a real straight shooter. He's the kind of guy he gives you his word. Don't worry about it. That's going to get done. So mm-hmm. if we just take that and exaggerate the hell out of it, that that this sense of duty, this sense of, of being responsible and being your word, what it transcends to a guy who's been in the tower for 30 years and has never had a paycheck, which he takes as a compliment. Like that's so that's what we did all of 99% of the time. I did, the exception, I would say, well, well, Graham Green, who can do anything, and, and also Gordon Pinson, you know, who could just, yeah. we made him a, an incredible liar because he has the weight to, to, to make you believe that he believes what he's saying, you know? <laughs> Two more for you, one from Andrew from Ohio and one from myself. Andrew want, from Ohio wants to know, how old is old man Sedgwick? You know, I... I you have to count his rings to be, <laughs> be accurate. <laughs> yeah. Because I don't know and he doesn't remember. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, the, I, an episode I watched today, his grandson is 90. So, yeah, that was, that's right. uh... yeah. yeah. <laughs> he had a, we're, we're doing this podcast now and he's I just had one the other day where he's bringing in a historic photograph from 1880. And I wanted to know if he was in it. And he said, no, but my kid brother was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah. We, we have a lot of fun. Um, uh, final question for you. Um, congratulations once again on being inducted uh, in the same. Canadian 
Hall it's an of honor. Fame in, it's in an February. Honor. I, I, I'm, I'm very flattered by that. That's, that's fantastic. It, it, it's an honor to have you and, and well-deserving of it. Um, my question is, I ask this of everyone, uh, who do you think Canadian comedy-wise should join you in the Hall of Fame down the road? Who do you think um, is deserving of that honor? I know you don't know who's in and who's out and all the details of it, but just yeah. when you when you think of Canadian comedy Hall of Famer, who, who comes to mind? Derek Edwards. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 There you go. Yeah, that's a that's a right. He actually did an event for us in uh, November and is great. One of the best touring stand up, the best touring stand up comic in Canada for sure. Yeah, no, he he did audience warm up for us for for a little while, and he's just he's just so good. Yeah, Natural, yeah, yeah. Great, great, great comedy mind. Yeah, I would put him up there. I put him up there for me to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, he's he's great. Um, thanks so much, Steve. I re I really appreciate the time, and uh, yeah, enjoy sunny Florida, and uh, and hopefully we'll see you in February. Thanks again. Oh, I, uh, I'll I really be there. Appreciate I'm awesome. coming. Yeah, perfect. I, I can't wait to see you and meet you in person. I appreciate right. it. Thanks, Chad. Thank you. Thanks to Steve Smith for coming on the show once again. CanadianComedyHall.com for tickets to the festival to see Steve. Get inducted, as you heard there at the end. He will be there. He's going to be there uh, getting inducted. He's going to be at the Hamilton Show, which is February 23rd, Friday, February 23rd, Hamilton Convention Center. The first concert, sorry, the first Ontario concert hall that's going to be at. Uh, Billy Van and Steve Smith both going in that night. And, of course, uh, a lot of his red-green uh, co-stars will be will be there for that show as well. So, so look for that. Okay, moving on. As always, there's two interviews every single episode of the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame podcast. In this second interview, no slouch here at all. Originally from Washington, D.C., it's Ryan Connor. Ryan has been on The Late Late Show with James Corden, and he was a top 10 finalist on the most recent season of NBC's Last Comic Standing, where the great Canadian legend Norm Macdonald said that he had the best three and a half minutes of comedy that he has seen in five years. We talk a lot about Norm in this interview, so if you're a Norm fan, stick with it to the very end. Ryan has one of the greatest Norm stories I've ever heard. I've already told it to all my friends. It is so goddamn funny. Uh, just Norm being Norm. That's all I gotta say. Enjoy the rest of the interview, too. It's great. Give it up. Ryan Connor on the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame podcast. Yeah, that's your that's home crazy. club, though? The yeah, DC that's my club. home club. Yeah. yeah. Um, how are do you live in DC currently? No, no, no. So I, I, I grew up in the DC suburb. Well, I actually lived in Southern Virginia until I was 11, then moved to the DC okay. suburbs. Um, and I lived there until I was about three, two and a half, three years into comedy. Then I moved to New York. Um, right. yeah. So yeah, ba basically it was just sort of a sudden thing where I got, um, uh, referrals to audition at a couple some top clubs at new york and when i passed the auditions and the people who referred me were like okay this means you have to move to new york now you know that right and i was like oh okay Sweet. so yeah so pretty much like overnight uh well stayed on people's couches for a while and then eventually moved yeah so tell me so you, you come from this like huge family how, how many kids uh well i i I'm one of 12 or one of 11, depending on the way you look at it. So uh, okay. uh, from my, my mom and stepdad, I'm one of 11. Um, and then I have another brother through my dad and stepmom. So I've heard a, a lot of comics come from big families and they talk about like using the funny mm -hmm. to kind of like stand up and stand out in their in their in their household. Uh, Neil Brennan talks a lot about that. 
um, in particular. I, was that something that you found was in your life or were you? Not really, because I, I was always quiet, you know, yeah. I, I, you know, I was the youngest until I was an adult. And then when we were, everyone's out of the house for a while. My parents want to adopt one more kid and and then ended up adopting four siblings together so then that put me in the middle age wise but before that like my whole time growing up i um you know from my mom and stepdad's side which is where i lived i was the youngest of seven um and yeah i was just always quiet i was just you know i mean i i was probably a little more um you know uh outgoing with my friends but at home, you know, it's just it's a lot of people. So I mean, yeah. and and, and it, we we do have a wide age range, so it's not like everyone lived there. Uh, you know, the mm-hmm. most the most siblings who ever lived in the house at once was four. Um, but uh, you know, the weekends it's just insane. Just you know, yeah. Like yeah. I mean, I was just home at Christmas, and uh, you know, everyone's older now, so only half the people are there. But it's still it was still like twenty five people there at Christmas between like nephews and nieces and significant yeah. others and stuff like that. But it used to be like 30, 40 people on holidays. Yeah. Just a, just a huge dinner for everyone. Yeah. 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 My mom would, would cook everything except my sister-in-law would always make spring rolls. She's, she's Vietnamese and okay. she can make like a hundred <laughs> spring rolls in an hour. <laughs> where, where did stand up start for you? Like what, uh, what was kind of your first set, your first like jump into to comedy? So, so I was obsessed with it ever since I was a little kid. Uh, me, right. and my older brother, uh, two my older brothers, Brent. They they have the same name. Uh, <laughs> one biological, one step. Uh, mm. One fun part of that is the step brothers. He's black, and his name is Brent White, and the other one is white. So it's Brent White, White Brent. And uh, <laughs> um, the three of us would watch so much stand up together. Uh, we were like a little closer in age, and um, starting from the age of maybe like six or seven the, the comedy channel what it was called at the mm-hmm. time before it was comedy central and um but i like i said i was really quiet and you know i i did i did theater through like i was like a little i guess a little ham in elementary school and then all of a sudden i just got got quiet and just focused on music and then uh when i was in college uh i was sort of torn between music and and um writing and uh, then I had all these ideas that would only work for stand up. And, you know, I showed them to like my best friend Quincy. And he's like, you have no choice but to get on stage now. <laughs> Amazing. So because I'd been writing stand up for two, three years without telling people. Oh, and wow. so then when I, I got on stage, I, I had probably, you know, I mean, you know, it is a new comics material, but I probably had 45 minutes when I started. Um, but it was, you know, you know, it's, it's the level of someone who just started, but, but, you yep. know, I, I just, I had a big, uh, um, head start on, a, on a lot mm-hmm. of people who had just started. So yeah, it was basically my friend forced me to get up and, uh, we actually scouted open mics for like a year first, just watching. Yeah. Uh, Cause I was, I was, I was just too nervous. But then once I got on stage that first time, like uh, the nerves went away and don't really get nervous anymore. it's funny I have this similar story where like I didn't actually like physically write down a set but I had like Mm -hmm. a 20 minute set in my head before I went on like word for word I've just gone over it a thousand times in my head before I even went on a stage did it did it go well for you the first time like relatively well considering yeah 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 yeah. it 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 did It, it went really well um 
And then the second time was like a mix. Um, mm -hmm. You know, uh, I, I didn't realize that you do the same jokes. Yeah. So I just did a whole new set. And uh, it was like, that one was more like 50-50 for what hit. Um, and then and then the third one, I remember went really well. I got offered my first paid gig after my third set, or maybe it was after my fourth set, but um, it was in that first week. Um, and then I, it just felt great. Like, I, that's yeah. just, I wanted to do it every single night then. I have a very similar story. I host um, now Yuck Yucks Comedy Club. I don't know if you've heard of it, mm -hmm. but big national mm -hmm. chain here in Canada. Yeah, I host yeah. the the like new talent night on Wednesdays. Nice. Um, and it's, it's, it's usually it's brand new comics, right? You know, people mm -hmm. within their first year and I always see them, uh, you know, they're, they're, they get a spot every month say, so they come back their first spot. It, it goes well. And then their second spot, um, they go up and they're doing all new stuff and it doesn't go well. They've written a new five minutes since the last spot. And that's like what I constantly tell people. I don't think people understand that. It's like, work on that five minutes like when people after their first set they're like what's some advice i was like go do the same set next month you know I listen know. back to it tweak it but like this having to write I, I a little bit and maybe this this where my question is do you think like social media has to do that where they just see like comics online just like pumping out like material every week es on on social media especially now yeah i was gonna say when i started i think it i think I mean, I'm sure part of why I did it was just because I thought that you should mix it up every time. But then part of it was I'd been writing for a long time and wanted to see what would work. Um, and now, yeah, there, there's just this weird, you know, lie that stand up is is all impromptu and you just have these people doing fake crowd work, mm -hmm. you know. You yeah, know, it's it. it for for people who don't do stand up, just know that what you're seeing is is the most staged nonsense. Yeah, for the for yeah. the most part, you know what I mean. They're they're just trying to get to their lines. Ninety five percent of the shows I do, I did that. There is one show I do, and you're doing it on Wednesday, that I host every month. It's in my hometown, so everybody knows me. It's a regular crowd that comes out every month, and that one I is like my try stuff out, have fun. Mm -hmm. work on you know you know what i mean like do a little bit more crowd work um for me i think it's important just to have that that one show um mm -hmm. do you do you do produce any shows or, or are you or yeah do you any like fun stuff like that that you do that's maybe a little different than your normal set well i i have a, a weekly show here in la on tuesday nights and um yeah it it's it's a great opportunity because you know i I'm, I'm doing 15 minutes every week and we have a lot of regulars so it just incentivizes doing um, a large chunk of new stuff every single week. It's mm -hmm. I love it because it, yeah. for so long I felt like, you, you know, there, there weren't before I was doing this show, like it didn't feel like there were many shows where I could just go up and be like, OK, I'm doing 15 minutes that I've never done before. Mm -hmm. Whereas when I started, I would do that every Sunday. I would in my first like couple years on a Sunday, I would do two, 10 new minutes. I would do the same series of shows every week and I would do 10 new minutes um sunday by monday i've thrown out four of the minutes so i'm doing six plus four minutes from the previous week and then tuesday the new material is down to three minutes you know and so i'm yeah. doing that three minutes plus just and i would just so then by the end of the week i get another, a good minute and a half or something like that you know yeah 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 so it, I, and it's I, crazy I, I the time put into that yeah mm -hmm. absolutely yeah 
Um, I want to talk about Last Comic Standing, which I'm sure you get questions about all the time, but uh-huh. more specifically, because uh, my home club, Yuck Yucks in Ottawa, that was Norm Macdonald's club where he started, um, which is he the, the stories, the legendary stories, uh, I could go on and on about them just because he's from this area. Um, his, his, whole, his family grew up here. Um, the, the one I'll tell you is uh, the first time uh, Norm's brother is a famous journalist here in Canada. I don't know if you I did you not know, know that. that. No, he's a he's a political journalist journalist. I think he was the chief Washington correspondent for uh, the CBC, the national broadcaster. Mm-hmm. Very famous journalist. And he got Norm a job in the CBC newsroom, which CBC is. Uh, the mm-hmm. Canadian Broadcasting oh, yeah. Com- Corporation. I'm sure you know it. Oh, yeah, um, but uh, so he got Norm a job in the new- newsroom uh, when before Norm got into stand up. And Norm's first day, he showed up on acid, um, tripping on acid his first day at the CBC. But it wasn't right for him. He ended up. His friends convinced him to do stand up. Norm went up, uh, did a set at stand up at Yuck Yucks. Uh, absolutely murdered his first set, and then just walked out the back door out to the parking lot. He was done. His plan was to never do it again. And the club owner chased him out of the club. Um, so that's like the, the legendary oh Norm McDonald. Yeah. He is, uh, I mean, he's like my hero. Uh, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. God, I love him. I, I did not realize he started the yuck yucks there and I'm going to be there yeah. on Sunday. Oh, that's amazing. Yes. That's so there's all kinds of when you're there. Yeah, that's right. You're there on Sunday. So there's all yeah. kinds of photos of him in the back and, and I'm sure Howard will be there. Howard Wegman is the owner of Yuck Yucks mm-hmm. uh, in Ottawa. So uh, if you if you want any good Norm stories, he, he has tons. Oh, man, I would uh, love it. I, yeah. It man, the, the, can I tell you a really funny Norm story? That yeah, yeah, here? that's what that's what I'm getting into. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so I did not witness this, but uh, my friend's show had the same showrunner as his Netflix, as Norm's Netflix show. Uh, okay, yeah. And they were forced to... Um, you know, he had to go in for like a network or, you know, Netflix network screening. And they were screening the first two episodes. Uh, he also said that before they did this, they did uh, um, sexual harassment. Um, training? Uh, like seminar training. Yeah. Yeah. And the person who conducts it said it normally takes about five minutes, but it took an hour because Norm just kept asking questions. <laughs> He's like, what? Well, what if what, yeah. if what if this happens and it's just all yeah. these just weird, weird scenarios, hypotheticals? Yeah, and just just like all kinds of you know, just like the way he would do that like faux backward thinking, where he's like, well, if a woman's wearing a dress to work, <laughs> wouldn't you say that she's sexually harassing me? Was one of his questions. <laughs> and they're like, uh... what? And he's like, I, I'm just asking. This is the forum, right? So, yeah. So so they're in the screening. And uh, he doesn't want to watch it. He's he doesn't want to take the notes. He, he had I think he had a deal that there were no notes even, but they still had to screen it. And they gave him this Netflix sweatshirt when he walked in, and he didn't want to watch the thing. So what he did was he acted like he was stuck in the sweatshirt <laughs> for the duration of the first episode. Oh my god! He just kept like wrestling with it, yeah. and and he said that. That they paused it towards the end and said, do you want to just wait and we'll just get you situated in your sweatshirt and then we'll watch? And he goes, no, no, that's okay. I don't want to be a distraction. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's amazing. Okay. That's yeah. I get a lot of Norm stories on this show. That's probably the best one. Yeah. 
uh my my friend casey corbin said norm was like the smartest but could also be like the dumbest person like he he ever met he used to open for norm uh when norm would do like west coast canada tours and he knew that norm norm loved fanta like mm -hmm. the the orange drink like yeah, obsessed yeah. with fanta so he bought him like uh like the novelty glass bottles of fanta mm -hmm. and so he get he's like here you go norm i brought you some glass bottles of fanta they went separate ways to their hotel rooms Norm calls Casey. He's like, hey, Casey, come over and hang out in my room. And so he goes into knocks on Norm's door. Norm opens the door and his mouth is all cut to shit. Like it's all like he's bleeding out of his mouth. And Casey's like, what, Norm, what happened? He's like, oh, I couldn't find a bottle opener. So he just smashed the top of the bottles. Instead of even like asking the front desk for an opener or like pouring in a glass, he just drank out of the broken glass bottles and like cut his mouth and was just drinking Casey was like what are you doing so he like did stuff like that he was like this genius <laughs> but didn't think to go get a bottle opener um I just love that that's an area of norm it's great it's like did he think it, did he just think it would be hilarious I it's probably drink a out of yeah oh my god yeah oh my god that's incredible yeah yeah. Um uh I'll tell you another one on Wednesday that I can't say on air. Um, yeah. but it this this one involves um him like fucking with another comedian until his dying day. It's a local guy to hear, but he used to like screw with and literally I saw text messages like two days uh -huh. before Norm died, like just screwing with a guy. Um I'll oh give you the full God. the full details of that, but uh that's absolute so funny legend. And just uh, especially in this era, like I knew so many, I know now perform with so many people that knew him and just like hearing the stories were, were amazing. Um, yeah. Is amazing That's awesome. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to hear that. Um, I, I know you mentioned Norm. Who else were your comedy influences growing up? Do you, was there other people that you, that you watched? Well, you know, I mean, when I was a kid, uh, I mean, growing up in the, you know, eighties, nineties, I guess. Eddie Murphy and then Chris Rock took over sort of mid nineties. Mm -hmm. And then um, I guess it would have been 2000, 2001 or something like that. Whenever the Hedberg special came out, that's okay. And I, and I actually love Steve Martin or uh, I'm sorry, Stephen Wright before that too. Oh yeah. Well, so good. Well, once I saw that Hedberg special, Oh my God, that just, just that, that yeah. was the thing that um, just sort of changed it in, in, in my mind to, you know, Oh, you know that maybe maybe this is an attainable thing it's it stand up mm. isn't always this big showy um you know thing it can also just be uh just like a different way of thinking and um it can be d delivered in a casual tone and especially uh, when you're coming from like yeah i remember like chris rock and i remember even like i mean mm -hmm. carlin didn't start this way but those last carlin specials are big productions right big hbo productions and, and mitch's exactly, exactly. Yeah. it's like when you when you meet people and they're like who are your favorite stand-ups and you don't even know what to say to them because most people only know the people who are doing theaters and arenas you know what i mean you, you can't say chad daniels to someone yeah. who just casually follows stand-up they're not gonna so you just oh so you know there's just like a handful of people you know but then when you see hedberg it's like I mean, I kind of think it's kind of like when um, a lot of people who like music but didn't really know how to play an instrument and then they heard punk for the first time, they're like, oh, I can just learn a, a few things and then there, yeah. there's a way I can do this, you know, um, 
I know that's sort of how it felt for me. And then, then, um, yeah, Hedberg, uh, was l- lucky enough that, um, ended up, he sort of took me under his wing towards the end. And, Amazing. uh, it was, a uh, quite a, yeah. I mean, just, just, um, a lucky, amazing, uh, way to start stand up. There's gotta be, I always ask people and you don't like realize it in the moment. Like for me, it's going to just for laughs where like mm-hmm. I got the call, got to go just for laughs in Montreal. And then like, I'm there and I don't really, when I'm there, I'm just there. Mm-hmm. And it's when I'm, when I've left, I've kind of like have to pinch myself. You know, what, what are those moments for you where you're like, when, if you tell 15 year old Ryan that, that you got to do this, uh, that you had this opportunity, he would be freaking out. Right. Well, the Hedberg stuff was the first one, but then the other one was like, I started, I I got a pass at the cellar when I was like only two and a half years in the comedy cellar. That's that's amazing. And yeah. And I don't know what it was. I don't know if it's just because I was like a little on the cleaner side, but for some reason, SD would only have me on the nine o'clock show. They would do nine and 11 and 11 was where most of the uh, younger comics uh, were. And back then there were actually, there were only like four younger comics on the shows. And still it was like, they were 10 years in. And so I was, Mm -hmm. it was this crazy lucky um, uh, scenario I was in where each night the shows would be, you know, Greg Giraldo, uh, Colin Quinn, um, you know, uh, Daryl Hammond, Jim Norton, Judy Gold. Like, I mean, it was like five, five to six comics on each show, depending on yeah. if you're doing 15 or 20. And I mean, the line of, I mean, the night of my, uh, uh, of my audition, I was following Robin Williams until he ended up bailing on a spot because it was a midnight one and he'd done the previous show. And I was just, I couldn't believe that I was in this, in this world, you know? Um, uh, so, I mean, those are the ones where just like, I, like, I, I just remember the, the, the comic who referred me, he was like, he was like, you're going to be performing with like the people you really look up to. Oh my God. Todd Berry, of course, too. Yeah. And, uh, it's like, you're going to be, he was like, but you're performing on the same show. So you got to, you know don't don't act like a fan or whatever and i was like all right that's fine but then i remember i was sitting at the table one time with uh gary goldman and this this is when i mean he's always been an amazing comic but he wasn't as famous famous like he is now mm-hmm. and i i told him i was like man I, I feel like a fraud every time i'm down here and and uh he's like that that's a good attitude keep keep, keep that attitude and it'll you know it'll keep you getting better. yeah and then later i i ended up working with Atel. sort of has that mentality of himself you know like greatest joke wow. writer ever possibly yeah and, and he just he's like ah, he's, he's this is all shit and you're like what yeah <laughs> I, uh... off stage and does it, like after destroying with the funniest shit you've ever heard and he just he's like ah they're kind of tight huh <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 oh my god he uh i was there i was at the cellar maybe like three months ago and mm-hmm. uh just watching I, I try to get there as much as i can and just mm-hmm. hey it's just so awesome um anyways i 
uh, is one of those nights where I just had to pee so friggin' bad. And David Tell gets up on stage, and I and I've been holding it for like four comics, and I finally like I break and I have to like get up from the back and like walk. And it's the main room, so like walk by the stage, and he goes, he stops his joke, and he goes, "Look at this Jonah Hill looking motherfucker." As I'm walking by, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, this is great. This is amazing." David Tell like taking a shot of me. He's like, "Where are you going during my set?" <laughs> like I just have to piss. Yeah, That's yeah. So, was, oh man. It, it, yeah. It really, there's no safe way to go to the bathroom in that room. No, even if you're up having at the restaurant up top, you know, like, yeah, you gotta like, you're an walk an inch through. from the stage. Yeah, yeah, I know. And I was like, uh, and then, like I should have went literally anybody else. I should have, you know, just bit the bullet one earlier, but I, I couldn't hold it anymore. One of those, yeah, things. yeah. Um, I have a couple more uh fun ones for you. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I ask I ask everyone this um on this show. Um, and it's just kind of my thing against IMDB, how it's never right. Um, you might get yours. Yours is kind of an obvious one, but do you know your first credit on IMDB? Oh man. I don't know. I didn't I didn't really use IMDB until other people set it up for me. Is is yeah. last comic the first one that's on there? L- last comic is the first one. Should that be yeah. the first one? Is that correct? No, there are other things. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think my my first TV thing was I I was on this like, do you remember like the early two thousands? There were like these talking head shows. I don't know if they were in Canada. Was too. that celebs have issues? Way before then, actually. Uh, oh, okay, th- I, I did it. It was it was called Pop Nation on Discovery. Oh yeah, pop. Yeah, I remember Pop. Nation. That was that I was remember. my first TV thing. Um, okay, that was like two thousand five or six. Okay, or something like that. Like ten years before Last Comic, right? Yeah. Or when yeah, was Last yeah, Comic? Yeah. yeah. Two thousand sixteen or something like that. Okay. Yeah, I think. Um. Yeah. So I I I don't know. Every now and then I'll go on on uh, IMDb just to correct something. But then it yeah. won't let you add things like they're they're like writing things that it won't let me add because I didn't put them in at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I had somebody who did I have? Oh, uh, Lauren Michaels. I talked to Lauren Michaels on this oh, show, man. which is Jesus crazy. Christ. Mind blowing. It's because he's Canadian and I'm Canadian. That's that's the connection. Um, And his was wrong. His IMDb. That's hilarious. Wrong. Yeah. Yeah. What's his fun? He's like, See, I have people pro- that should do producer this. of Fridays. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, it's it was screwed up. You have a great story. I've heard you say it on another podcast, but just um about a script you got for a different Ryan Connor. Oh, it's uh, hilarious. I love this story. Where did I where did you hear me tell the story? It was uh it was like a science podcast or something. Oh, it was like, yes, on probably yeah. science, which is a super yeah. fun fun uh podcast. Yeah, it was it was a fun listen. Dude, yeah, do you, do you want me do you want me to tell you this this story? Yes, yes, please do. So, I love it. So I have the same name as a female porn star, and um, she you know she's been going ever since we're like when when people first thought of googling ourselves in college, it it, it was like accidentally like a comedy where we googled everyone in the room and I and everyone's just like oh just some mechanic in in Boise or whatever and then I was yeah. the last one we searched and we we're like what the fuck <laughs> it's, it's an anal queen I don't know if you can say that in Canada <laughs> you're, uh, yeah you're fine so so you can say a uh, lot more here than you can in the states that, that's what I figured yeah. that's the general sense I get when I'm on stage there yeah um so uh 
I, I started getting like some email, like basically when Gmail came out, I, I just got Ryan Connor Gmail and I, and she got, but she got RyanConnor.com. She got all this stuff. Cause she was in the business before I did stand up. Yeah. So I used to get email intended for her like every few months. And I have a bit about this exchange with this dude named Sergio from that. Um, and then it really started accelerating, but my, my, the best the best one, even better than ones I get from uh, correctional facilities, which happens every couple months. <laughs> this guy it was about five years ago. Writes, I you know I'd love to do a movie with you, and I I I, I contemplated. I was like, I you know I was just performing on TV. Maybe this per this is a person who wants yeah, to do a movie with real. me. I said, hey, thanks for reaching out to me. You know, send, send me the script. I'd love to take a look. He sends me a script. Uh, it's just called script <laughs> and it was, uh, I could pull it up, uh, but it's, it's about three pages, I believe. Um, and it's, uh, all, all sexual. I mean, there's one part where it's, where, uh, it says, uh, she, uh, took off her shirt and her boobs fell down. They look like two big letter U's. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> so, that's so that's i've never heard a sexier thing in my life <laughs> i know i know yeah, yeah. it it's 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 like um porn written by someone who's unfamiliar with sex uh but right. not a kid i looked the person up not a kid yeah and yeah yeah it's incredible i sent back a note uh where i i said you know i i, I something like i like the overall arc of it or something like that but uh I was like, I think this, like, it was like a teacher situation. It was like a teacher student thing. I said, first of all, I, I, I think this, uh, this scenario is a little overdone and kind of creepy. So if you could maybe rewrite this and set it around the Brexit debate, that would be great. <laughs> so I, so it was 2016, uh, I guess, or 2015. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. The Brexit thing was, uh, and he goes, we'll do. And then I never got the response because he must've Googled <laughs> Brexit and then realized he fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah brexit is just like backwards anal to him or something pulling <laughs> um, a brexit and give it the old brexit uh that's so funny uh are you still getting those emails from ryan connor oh my god yes or ryan connor oh, okay yeah absolutely uh ceaseless uh you would think like at this point your career is like about 30 years yeah yeah um just, i no was no way to live <laughs> I wasn't aware of Ryan Connor, believe it or not. And people won't believe that, but that's fine. Um, until I heard you on the podcast. And then when I did my IMDB thing, you were Ryan Connor the third, Ryan Connor on on IMDB. Um I feel like the porn stars should have their own IMDB though. They shouldn't be yeah. lumped in with like the How yeah. I Met Your Mother cast, you know? Yeah, it's the IPMD. I am PBD DB. Yeah. <laughs> There's gotta be one like that. Yeah. I, I didn't know she was on. What? They at are. What, yeah. At what point do you retire? I mean, yeah. I know you can't really trans. It's probably not a very transferable skill, but it seems. But like money can't be an issue. Money can't be an issue. I, I would point. hope like, not. I've heard that the yeah. men make very little, but the women get paid well. Right. I've, I've had a couple, uh, we'll call them amateur porn stars 
mm-hmm. come to comedy shows. And I was just like, you know, curious about that world. Cause I love yeah. anything I call like a carnival world, anything carny yeah, world, yeah, 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 yeah. comedy, pro wrestling, porn. So anything yeah. like, like that, I just want to know how that world, and they're all pretty similar in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Anyways, the the money they told me they were making is insane. Like money cannot be an issue at that. That's point. great. And is that yeah. because of the current like? Uh, I think it's the current landscape of everything. Of, exactly. Well, good good yeah. for them. Because I mean, good for them. Just, They're doing it. Yeah. Exactly. I was fascinated just, though. It was. It's a. It's a wild world. Um, I just don't I got, want anyone I, to have to do it until they're 60 yeah exactly yeah 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 yeah. keep keep going yeah yeah exactly um i got one more for you i know you mentioned norm this is the canadian comedy hall of fame podcast and i know you don't know who's in and who's out of the hall of fame norm is in the hall of fame we inducted him uh last year which was very cool to go to that um induction um but just when you think of canadian comedians who do you, who comes to mind as like a hall of famer or a future hall of famer maybe somebody you worked with um I mean, well it, it turns out my favorite canadians i mean have to be norm and leslie nielsen okay leslie yeah he actually I mean, got inducted with norm last year oh man yeah. leslie yeah. nielsen man have you seen that police files how are you who are you and how'd you get in here yeah, 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 yeah. You know exactly. what I'm talking about? Yeah. He breaks yeah. into he breaks into yeah. an office, and then the guy turns around, and goes, "Who are you? And how did you get in here?" And he goes, "I'm a locksmith, and I'm a locksmith." <laughs> That's the funniest so, line ever. I love that. Yeah, those are so great. It's so crazy. He started as like a dramatic actor, and they didn't think he could do comedy when he got into to comedy, and also people didn't know he was Canadian. Like it was like when he died, like in his obituary said, like from Toronto, um, people didn't know another just quick Leslie Nielsen story. Mm-hmm. My, uh, a guy who's on this podcast, he's a, he's a, uh, a movie critic and journalist. Jim Slotek is his name. Um, he was giving me a, we were just talking about people in the hall of fame. And he said he wrote, uh, the Canadian Screen Awards, Leslie Nielsen was the host uh, one mm. year, and uh, he wrote like the opening monologue for Leslie. And uh, Leslie, he said he picked up the monologue and was like, not even looking at the page, basically just like flipped through it as quick as you possibly could. He's like, yeah, that looks good. Went out and nailed it. Nailed it. Like absolutely joke for joke crushed it and he's like he barely looked at it for five minutes and had oh it my God. no teleprompter nailed it yeah it was uh it's uh it's just like that mind and that like comedy talent that's was incredible just, man yeah yeah it's a it's a great great leslie nielsen story man. um thanks so much ryan thanks for doing this oh thanks so um, much it's a pleasure yeah enjoy your time in canada i will see you in wednesday in beautiful brockville ontario for uh what's what's bound to be a super fun show so beautiful i can't wait thanks so much for having me chad see you tomorrow ryanconnorcomedy.com for all tour dates for the great ryan connor love that norm story he told i am still giggling about it uh as i record this two days later very very funny uh, give it up for ryan uh if you're looking to see ryan live he's got dates coming up in uh denver colorado Denver, Colorado, home of the Colorado Avalanche, Petersburg, Illinois, Mahomet. I'm probably saying that wrong. Illinois as well. All coming up again. Ryan Connor. 
comedy.com. He's also got a weekly show in LA. If you're in LA, uh, details for that show are on his website as well. Thanks again to Steve Smith, man, the legend, Red Green. He's going to be in Hamilton for the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame Festival, February 22nd to, through to the 24th in beautiful Hamilton, Ontario. You don't want to miss it. You have to go there to see, to see Steve Smith. I mean, to see the whole Red Green gang back together again. Am I spilling secrets on the show? That's fine if I am. Uh, thanks again for listening, everybody. All things Canadian comedy, Canadian comedy hall of fame.com for the Canadian comedy hall of fame podcast. I'm Chad Noonan. <laughs>